0: Father in heaven, we come before you this morning and we admit that um, when we sing the lines of that song of holy, holy, holy of though the darkness hide, we we recognize that sometimes, Lord, that's how we feel. We feel, Lord, that there are situations in our life or the life of those we love or are in relationship with where we have trouble seeing you. We have trouble knowing what You're doing. We have trouble trusting even. But Lord, we know that You are faithful. We know that You are with us. We know that You are the God who didn't just die on the cross, but who rose from the dead. You are the God of resurrection and life. Lord, I pray for all those on the list who, Lord, might be struggling with physical ailments of some kind, whether that's cancer or heart issues or, um, Lord, just surgeries or complications. Lord, whatever it is, Lord, we pray that you be with them, that you minister, that you bring healing to them. For, Lord, we know that you are a healer, you're a physician, you are a God who is faithful in that way. Lord, for those who are struggling with other things as well, we just pray that You go into the midst of their stories and that You reveal Yourself in power. Lord, just as You revealed Yourself to so many after Your resurrection, Lord, we pray that You reveal Yourselves in their lives and their situations, whether that's with wisdom and discernment, or that's just peace and comfort. But Lord, if that's just the love that they need to receive, that only you can give. We pray that, Lord, you go and you be in their midst. And, Lord, we pray that you are in our midst this morning. Lord, that you um, just fill this space, that you fill it fully, that we might see you, that we might know you, that we might hear you. And, Lord, we pray that as we open your word and as... We wrestle with your truth, Lord, that you um, help us to hear you and only you. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing to your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus name. Amen. All right. So uh, we are just... One Sunday post Easter or Resurrection Sunday. And so I decided that we're it's fitting and only fitting that we teach on the book of Judges. Just kidding. We're really not. Um, but that would be fun. It just might not make sense. But um, this week we are going to be looking at another resurrection story and post post resurrection story and. Look at the story of the road to Emmaus and I'm, I'm excited for this story and I, I'm just excited to have another week where we kind of talk about the resurrection and, and highlight it because I think one of the things we do as Christians is we like to highlight and for good reason we like to highlight the work of Jesus on the cross. And we should and absolutely we should champion that. We should trumpet it. But we don't spend as much time like with just the beauty of the resurrection and developing that. And I think we miss out a little bit when we we don't. And clearly the Bible thinks it's important, too. I mean, the entire 15th chapter of First Corinthians is just this long um piece of writing from Paul about the resurrection and how central it is to the Christian life. In fact, he says he goes as far as to saying if the resurrection isn't true, then we are all still dead in our sins and our faith is worthless. I mean, those are harsh words. But that's the power. That's that's the importance of the resurrection. And so we need to spend time with that just as we spend time with the cross, because without the resurrection, the cross really doesn't do much. And I know that sounds blasphemous. But it is a biblical truth as well. And so I'm excited to be jumping in with you today Going deeper into the power of the resurrection and seeing how the resurrection of Jesus, it empowers us to live the Christian life that God is calling us to live. And so let's go ahead, if you will, and let's turn to Luke 24. And we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 35. So if you haven't already turned, I want you to go ahead and turn. And as you do, I'm going to get ready to read for us, and I'll be reading out of the NIV. All right, verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, "How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? In the beginning and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going farther. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. Let's pray as we start. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the power that we find in Your Word. Thank You that Your Word points to Jesus. And Lord, how we can see transformation in the lives of all of these people, these disciples, and then, Lord, recognize that it also can happen within ourselves. Lord, we pray that there be transformation in this room this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me set the stage, okay? So what has happened previous to this passage that we read, so it's kind of like those those uh, TV shows, there's like previously on, Previously on the resurrection of Jesus, um, we had in the in the previous story, we had uh, just kind of what these disciples were recalling where Jesus was was, of course, arrested. He was crucified and he was placed in a tomb. And then on the third day, some of the, the, the his followers, especially the women, they went into the tomb to take care of his body. But when they got there, Spoiler alert, okay, the body was missing, okay, there was, Jesus' body was gone, and they didn't know what to make of this, and then the, some angels appeared and spoke to them and said, hey, this Jesus you're seeking, he, he's, he's alive, he's not here, he's alive, and so they went back and they told the rest of the disciples who were having trouble believing them, okay, had trouble believing them. Which, let's be honest, I mean, they'd never seen it. Well, they had seen, I guess, Lazarus and maybe a few other. But this was different. Someone, Jesus completely raising from the dead after being crucified. That was a new box that they had not seen or expected. So they had trouble believing the ladies, but there, at least a couple of them, Peter and John, it seems they're they're curious enough that they go to see what they can find out as well. They go to the tomb. They realize the body's not there either, but then they kind of leave, just wondering what happened. Like they, they just wonder what happened. They don't know at this point. They don't know what happened, and that's where we jump in in the Gospel of Luke to the story of the road to Emmaus. And so as we start in verse thirteen. We notice that Luke mentions that two of them were going. And I think it's easy for us to assume that the two are part of Jesus's 12 disciples, even after learning later that one of them's name is Cleopas, which isn't one of Jesus's disciples. um, We still, I think, because of what we know as the lullaby effect, where we just we read it so many times, we hear these stories so many times, that we're not actually listening necessarily actively as to what it's saying. I think a lot of times our mind tries to fill in gaps for us. And so a lot of us, I think, are like, oh, the disciples. Oh, yeah, this is like Peter or someone. But no, these are two different disciples who are are going um, on the road. And I think part of that and I think what is important why I'm mentioning that is because I think when we think of the 12, we tend to put them in another category and say, well, only special things happen to the 12. That's not true. It's not true. There were, Jesus had more than 12 disciples. There was a whole group of, of people who followed Jesus. We don't even know how many, but there was a large group of disciples who followed Jesus. The twelve just served a very special function. But Jesus had experiences with all of them. And the reason I think this is important to bring up is because I think a lot of times we do this as Christians where we think, well, only special cool things with our faith happen to those like super Christians over here. You know, those people we put in this category, like, I don't know, pastors or elders or leaders are like, man, they're the ones that are cool, that have all the cool experiences. I don't have anything like nothing like that ever happens or ever could happen to me. Well, let me tell you, it's just not true. And this story is proof of that. Jesus goes and he meets these two random disciples on the road to Emmaus. Think about in Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 6. He says, For I delivered to you as of, most, of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, Peter, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive though some have fallen asleep then he appeared to James then to all the apostles and last of all as to one untimely born he appeared also to me jesus or paul here is talking about all the times that jesus the resurrected jesus appeared to different people notice again it doesn't just say the 12 in fact it says that at one point he appears to 500 at once 500 that's a lot right Jesus appears, he shows up in the life of his followers, not just the super followers. In verse 13, we also read where they are going. They're going to Emmaus. Now, it is not an understatement to say that scholars have very different ideas and disagree where this village was located. There's like three main sites Um, that are fairly credible as to where they think it is. Um, I'm not going to go in. I'm not going to get into the weeds too much on that with us this morning for time's sake. But either way, this city would have required a minimum of a seven mile walk. Okay, minimum, because there's there's some um, some debates on one of the towns that suggested that would be more like a 17 mile walk. um, Which. It's quite a bit longer. That's a pretty stout walk, right? You know, even seven miles is, is, a, is a fairly stout, stout walk in the desert. So, But either way, this is, a, this is a, at least a seven mile walk. And so as they are walking, they're discussing everything that has transpired in Jerusalem. And Jesus comes up beside them. But notice that the text specifically says that they were kept from recognizing Jesus. They were kept from recognizing him. So there is some debate as to whether this is more Jesus preventing them from recognizing or that they're just themselves failing to see and believe it was Jesus, which would make sense, too. They just saw him crucified and put in a tomb. And this guy comes up who may look like just, I mean, a similar appearance to a lot of other people. I don't know. And it's maybe getting close to dark. Who knows? Maybe they can't. Maybe they can't tell. So we don't know if if it's like something miraculous that they were kept or it's just with their grief and everything they were. They failed to see Jesus. But regardless, I think a legitimate question is, why does not Jesus address who he is from the beginning? Why doesn't Jesus say, hey, guys, it's me, you know, check, check it out. It's me, you know, like he could have, you know, he, he really could have, but he doesn't. And so one of the things that I was thinking about with this is that Jesus was in life who he was or who he is in his resurrection, So he is in life who he is in the resurrection and who he was is he was their teacher. And what do teachers like to do? They like to teach. And Jesus especially likes is experientially teaching. Good rabbis do. And so Jesus as the teacher is teaching experientially. And it is clear that he wants them to go through this process. He doesn't just say, hey, guys, it's me. Now let me tell you everything. He wants them to go through the process. Jesus asks them, what are they talking about? And then we hear that one of their names is Cleopas. And Cleopas responds in disbelief that this person wouldn't have known all the happenings of the Passover festival. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it was huge news. Like, we have to remember this was the Passover festival. Um, Jews from all over would have been traveling into Jerusalem, um, for that week. It would have been front page news, right? It would have been the headlines. It would have been like on your favorite news station, breaking news, you know, or like your, your cell phone news updates, breaking news, like, Local Galilean rabbi, like, you know, (laughs) crucified or something like it would have been a huge deal. And so they're like, well, are you the only one who doesn't know what's going on? Like, has your head been in the sand? Like, what do you mean? What What are you asking? What 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 are we talking about? And so. He goes on to tell him about Jesus and the gospel hope that they had within Jesus, but now seems hopeless. Seems hopeless. They mention also the fact that it's the third day since it happened. Why does he mention it's the third day? Like, why specifically? This is like a random detail. Or is it? I mean, it's the third day since it happened. And I mean, if you are a Jewish person and you know your Old Testament, you know that things happen on the third day in the Old Testament. You know, and there's I could list off several different examples. But just think about what Jesus says when he was asked earlier in the Gospels for a sign. And he talks about the sign he was going to give him was the sign of Jonah. And we could interpret the sign of Jonah in a few different ways, but we especially could interpret that in terms of what happened to Jonah on, hmm, I don't know, was it the third day? Something special happened to Jonah on the third day. If we remember this story where he also emerges from the tomb, so to speak. And so it is the third day. And there, it seems like at some level, there's an expectation that, you know, if something's going to happen, it's going to happen today. But see, that's also where they're confounded, because they hear the story that is told from the ladies that Jesus's body is missing and that angels have showed up. And said that Jesus is alive, but no one has seen him. And so they're like what is going on like like they're they're in grief they're in confusion there's probably a sliver sliver of hope there but they're they just don't know what to make of it all and once again i don't blame them this is when jesus interjects And begins explaining the scriptures concerning himself. And as they stop for the night, they ask Jesus to stay with them. And Jesus agrees and then shares a meal with them. And while Jesus is breaking bread and giving thanks, they recognize him. And they realize that their hearts were burning the entire time he was with them. These disciples encountered Jesus in a way that hit to the deepest center of themselves and it made their hearts burn. Have you ever had a heart burning moment with the Lord? I think a lot of us have. You know, and I'm I'm reminded of this famous story of John Wesley. I don't know if. Many of you are familiar with the story of John Wesley, but John Wesley, the founder of the United Methodist Church, he was an Anglican priest before he was a Methodist. And there's a story of him before he launched out and started the movement of the Methodist movement. He was in a kind of Bible study prayer group that would meet regularly and they were going through Romans. And his quote was that his heart was strangely warmed. His heart was strangely warmed. His heart was burning. He had a burning heart moment, and as a result, Wesley went and shared. It reminds me of the the there's a passage in Jeremiah 20 where Jeremiah talks about the word of God. Um, that God had put within him and it was like a fire consuming him from the inside that it was burning him so hot that he couldn't help it just he had to get it out. Those burning heart moments are moments that especially John Wesley we see, he it, It transformed his life and it transformed the life of millions of others as a result of his life and his ministry. But it also did the same for these disciples because these disciples from their burning heart experience with Jesus, they don't just stay in Emmaus, do they? They don't just stay in Emmaus. They returned back to Jerusalem. So with these disciples, this burning heart moment was initially experienced without a full revelation of what was happening, which I think often is the case with us as well. Like we experience these moments without the full revelation of what is happening. And we get that later. We get that revelation Later, But once the full revelation came to them and they realized it was Jesus and what had happened, it prompted them to do something about it. It prompted them to go and to share, to bear witness and to testify. And so the passage ends by these disciples immediately returning back to Jerusalem to find the other's disciples and to share their experience. When they get there, everyone is excited and they learn that Jesus had also appeared to Peter. That's an interesting side note. He's appeared to Peter. I wonder what that experience was like, because we don't necessarily have that in Scripture. At least Luke doesn't tell us what that experience is. But Jesus goes... After his resurrection. And Peter is one of the first people, it seems, that he reveals himself to. Which, you know, going back to 1 Corinthians 15, you know, that's what it says. And it says, and he, I forget exactly how it says, but he first appeared to Peter. Which is this experience. And I think that's beautiful because what did Peter just did? He had just denied Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times he had denied Him. And yet Jesus goes to him in his denial, in his shame, in his guilt. And he shares his resurrection with Peter. That's a little powerful little side note to this story that I don't want us to miss either. Jesus appears to us just like Peter, even in the midst of some of our most doubtful, some of our most uh, denying, some of our most shame filled moments. If we let him, he also appears to us. These two disciples then share their experience and highlight the fact that it was in the breaking of the bread that they recognized Jesus. And so why in that moment? Why in that moment? Why in the breaking of the bread? Maybe it was times at the table that they experienced with Jesus. Maybe it was they heard about the the Passover, the Lord's Supper story. And so that was fresh on their minds. Or maybe it was Jesus' teaching on him being the bread of life. Don't know. And regardless, we do know that they did recognize him in the breaking of the bread. All right, so now that we've walked kind of through this passage, I want to leave us with two big takeaways that I kind of pull away from this passage. So the first big takeaway for me is that we must learn and know the resurrection story. We must learn and know the resurrection story, a story that doesn't begin with Jesus, but is fulfilled in Jesus. Cleopas and the other disciple had a very limited understanding of scripture and Jesus' place within it. And so it took Jesus explaining things for them to understand. Friends, the death and resurrection of Jesus doesn't begin in Matthew, it begins in Genesis. We see foreshadows in the creation narrative and in the life of Abraham. We see foreshadows in the Exodus story. We see foreshadows in the historical books and in the Psalms. And we definitely see foreshadows in the prophets. I wish I had time to point out all of these amazing foreshadows of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. But I, unfortunately, I don't. But let it be sufficed to say that the resurrection story, the story of Jesus, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, it is a story with deep roots. It's the story of the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. It's not just the story of Luke's gospel or Matthew's gospel or Mark or John. It's the story of Scripture. It all points. It all points. It all leads. It all is fulfilled in the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. And just as these disciples needed to learn and understand it, so do we and so do others. And friends, it is our responsibility to tell them. So. Here's what I want to challenge us with today. I want to challenge us with to take time this week to learn, understand, and be ready to communicate the Gospel story. Take time. Learn. Understand. Be ready and willing to communicate the Gospel story, the resurrection story. If this is something you need help with, Come see me. Come see Dave. Come see Kristen. There are others as well that would be willing, I'm sure, to help share this beautiful story with you from beginning to end. All right, the final takeaway that I want to bring to us today is that because of the resurrection of Jesus, Because the resurrection of Jesus is true, we no longer have to fear our pain, our doubt, our confusion or our hopelessness because Jesus has overcome and redeemed all of it. Can I get an amen? All right, there we go. See, this is the most powerful things that I saw when I was going through this passage this week. I saw two people who followed Jesus, who were confused and dejected and had very clear reasons they were leaving Jerusalem. Because Jerusalem was the place of their pain. It was the place of their confusion It was the place of even hopelessness, of everything that they had just found and experienced. But because of the resurrection, they turned right back around into their pain, into their doubt, into their hopelessness, and faced it head on. Think about that. They just left Jerusalem dejected, downcast. But an encounter with the resurrection, encounter with the resurrected Jesus, they turn right back around and they go into their pain. Because the resurrection, it redeems our pain, our doubt, our confusion, our hopelessness. A lot of us think we have things in our lives that are too much, are hopeless. Things that maybe we're confused about, things that are causing us pain, and we don't think and we don't see any way out, and a lot of times we just want to run away. But one of the things we see in this story is that resurrection power means that we, as followers of Jesus, as people of the resurrection, we can go right back in to our pain because we know that Jesus has raised it from the dead. He has redeemed it. He has redeemed us. See, Cleopas and the other disciple would have been within their right to stay away from Jerusalem until things cooled down. But seeing the resurrected Jesus changed them. This is the power we also have in the resurrection of Jesus. We don't have to fear and run away from the things that scare us. We can actually run straight at them with a story to tell. Trusting even that the resurrection of Jesus has actually even gone before us. So here's your final challenge. Be a storyteller at least once this week. Tell your story. Tell the gospel story. Or just tell any Bible story. Maybe in conversation with someone. You know, there A lot of people, they need to hear this story because of the pain and stuff they're also walking through. They need to know that Jesus' resurrection redeems it. There's life, abundant life in Jesus. As we take risks, face our fears, and share with others, we will recognize Jesus meeting people in heart-burning moments just like these two disciples. We want to get spiritual heartburn, right? We don't want to get regular heartburn. We want we want to give people spiritual heartburn. You know, the more and more I learn about Jesus and the more I study his word, the more I am captivated by him. I grew up thinking about the resurrection as a just as a purely a going to heaven issue that affected me one time for one moment. But I have come to realize it has always been more. Because of the resurrection, people can live transformed, abundant lives here and now. Because of the resurrection, people no longer have to live in their pain, their doubt, and their hopelessness. And because of the resurrection, all people can be sent out, even back into their chaos and confusion, to give testimony of the life and heart change that can only be found in Jesus. Will you go, share, and live the resurrection this week? Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for Your resurrection, for the resurrection of Jesus that we, Lord, May see just how the resurrected Jesus changes lives, changes the lives of the disciples and changes even our lives here and now today. Lord, many of us in this room can think of times and moments where our hearts have burned within us. Lord, I pray that those moments, not just be moments that are nice, that happened this time and uh, that was cool. But Lord, be moments that empower us to live and to tell the story of the life, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. May we be resurrection people. May we be people who live abundant life here and now. People who aren't waiting but people who are experiencing it and showing it day in and day out moment in and moment out lord we thank you for all this and more because we know what it cost so father Bless us as we continue to worship, to sing, and to reflect on your heart. In Jesus' name, amen.